0: This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We've all been there, waiting at the airport for a flight to depart, counting down the minutes until you can board and get on with your day. Whether it's for a highly anticipated vacation to a faraway destination, a business trip, or a reconnect with family and friends, when it comes to airport travel, we all just want to get to where we're going as quickly as possible. Of course, airport delays are inevitable, not to mention frustrating. Bad weather, mechanical problems, and even issues with your documentation all happen from time to time, which can throw our plans off a bit. It's safe to say that being stuck at the departure gate for hours on end is no one's idea of a good time. You might say it's enough to put anyone into a state of terminal boredom. Excuse the pun. But every once in a while, for whatever reason, there are travelers that become stuck in a kind of airport limbo, Perhaps it's because of a bureaucratic roadblock or a financial obstacle. But on rare occasions, some destination seekers can find themselves living at the airport. I'm not talking about spending a night sleeping on the floor by the baggage claim. These are stories of people who redefined the word layover, quite literally making the airport their new home, sometimes for years. This is what happened to an Iranian man named Moran Karimi Nasseri. In 1973, Nasseri flew to the United Kingdom where he planned to attend the University of Bradford outside the city of Leeds. England was not entirely foreign to the man as his mother was originally from Scotland. When he finished his studies, Moran Nasseri returned to Iran. Not long after, in 1977, he was expelled from his homeland for protesting against the country's leadership. In retaliation, the government revoked his passport. With no passport and nowhere to go, Nissari decided to try relocating to Europe. He submitted numerous requests for refugee status, which, over a four-year period, were all declined. However, in 1981, he received word that the United Nations High Commission for Refugees had finally granted him political asylum. Nassari was now able to apply for citizenship within Europe. At the time, England was part of the European Union, and given his family connection and the time spent there at school, he naturally decided that's where he would make his new life. As Mehran Nassari was getting more and more excited about the big move, the last thing he expected was to get stuck at an airport terminal. For years. My name is Eric Crosby. Welcome to TRUE. It was 1988 when Mehran Nassari boarded a plane from Paris, headed for London. After years of waiting and living with uncertainty, he had finally found a home. When he arrived at Heathrow airport and approached the customs officer with a warm smile, something curious happened. When asked for his documentation, Nassari told the immigration official that all of his paperwork had been stolen. He claimed it was taken back in Paris and that all he had was his plane ticket. Officials at Heathrow were unsympathetic and he was immediately put on a plane back to France. When the plane arrived at Charles de Gaulle airport, The same thing happened. With no paperwork, he could not be processed through French immigration either. Mehran Nassari was now stuck in France's busiest airport. For how long, he didn't know, but he was determined to make it back to England as quickly as possible. With nowhere else to go, he headed over to Terminal 1 and began looking for a quiet spot to sit down. On the red plastic benches of the terminal lounge, little by little, he started crafting his temporary home. It may have been inside an airport, but given he didn't have a country to call home yet, this would have to do for now. It was an inconvenient situation, sure, but it would only be short-term as England and France figured it all out. Four years later, The French government still refused to grant Mehran Nassari a visa to enter the country. To make matters worse, the High Commission for Refugees in Belgium had repeatedly denied requests for copies of the original documents. They had a strict policy at the time which required him to pick them up in person. Being stuck at the airport in France, of course, meant this was impossible. That was in 1992. Three years later, in 1995, Nassari received a conditional offer from Belgian authorities. They would allow him into the country to collect his paperwork, but he would not be able to leave until the immigration issue was resolved. Being forced to live in Belgium was definitely not part of Nassari's itinerary. He turned down the offer, insistent that he would only board a plane if it took him back to England. With no passport or any other travel documents, he wasn't going anywhere. So, Mehran Karimi Nassari continued to live at Charles de Gaulle Airport. Although, despite what you might envision, the asylum-seeking squatter was not defeated. Not even close. Described as reserved, polite, well-dressed, and dignified, Nassari maintained a strong interest in politics, economics, and current affairs. He became well-known to the airport staff, including the airport doctor and the chaplain, As media interest in his situation developed, he started receiving letters of support from the public. To him, the situation was always a temporary one. So even though it was offered, he never accepted financial support. According to reports, however, Nassari would not say no to airport staff buying him food and newspapers if they offered. I I try to have a nice day and every day, but as I'm, I'm thinking, uh, and every day I, I tell them in my future, in my past, then I could write my uh, story. And this is the, the life for about eight years, nine years. With his luggage and worldly possessions stacked neatly next to him, Mehran Nasari filled his days reading and writing. He was happy to talk with journalists or anyone else that wanted to chat, but it was becoming clear that the never-ending layover was taking a toll on his mental health. After years of having nowhere to call home but the airport, Nissari had, for all intents and purposes, become institutionalized. By the time both France and Belgium offered him residency in 1999, he had been living inside Charles de Gaulle Airport for 11 years. Normally, I have been alone. I have been uh, most time uh, doing something uh, for myself only. And this is uh, loneliness and uh, not too happy. But I hope uh, the result will be a happy end. He declined both offers, claiming that the paperwork had recorded his nationality as Iranian instead of British, as he requested. Also, the documents did not have the name he was now going by, Sir Alfred Mehron. Without those conditions being met, Sir Alfred chose to continue living at the airport. Since then, he has waited, hearing news of the fall of the Berlin Wall, the collapse of the Soviet Union and the Gulf War on a radio left behind by a departing passenger. As the years passed, Sir Alfred continued his well-established daily routine inside Terminal 1, rising at 5.30 a.m. to wash and shave before having a McDonald's breakfast. Thanks to airport staff, who happily looked after his every need, there wasn't much to complain about under the circumstances. At the end of a long day of reading and writing in his journal, Nassari would finish by brushing his teeth and crawling into the makeshift bed. The benches he pushed together weren't the most comfortable, but it was better than the floor. Once a week, he would wash his clothes using the airport bathrooms. This routine would go on for an incredible 18 years. If Mehran Nassari's story sounds like something straight out of a Hollywood movie, it's because it is. He was reportedly the inspiration behind the 2004 Steven Spielberg film The Terminal. The Academy Award-winning director said he paid Nassari $250,000 for the rights to his extraordinary story. Being stuck in the airport, though, it's unlikely he ever got to see it on the big screen. In July 2006, after almost two decades living at Charles de Gaulle Airport, Nassari became ill and was taken to the hospital for treatment. When he left six months later, he was sent to an airport hotel where he received care from the French Red Cross. Two months after that, he relocated to a homeless shelter in Paris, where the now 75-year-old reportedly continues to live. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the Just Capital seal, Bank of America is ranked number one for ongoing commitment to their workers with initiatives like Sharing Success, which awarded 97% of their teammates additional compensation, nearly all in stock. This is the program's seventh consecutive year, awarding more than $4.8 billion in total. Visit justcapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Sir Alfred Mehran isn't the only one to use an airport as a stage to make very public statements about the sometimes absurd shortcomings of immigration. In mid-2004, a similar situation occurred when a man entering England found himself stuck in diplomatic limbo. 42-year-old Sanjay Shah decided to travel from Kenya to visit family in the UK. While there, he also planned to visit a few universities With the hope of one day sending his teenage son. Sanjay Shah was traveling with the understanding that he was already a citizen of England. That belief was based on the fact that in 1962, when he was born, Kenya had been a British colony. But because of the complicated nature of the country's immigration laws, becoming a citizen is not that straightforward. So when Shah arrived in London with a British Overseas Citizens Passport, which is not the same as full citizenship, He was surprised. The travel document he was carrying did allow him to visit the country for a maximum of six months, but not to stay there permanently like he initially thought. To make things worse, he had only bought a one-way ticket, which concerned UK immigration officials. Unsure of his intentions, and given the documentation was not in order, authorities placed him on the next flight back to Kenya. Unfortunately, the incident cost him any future attempts to enter the country. As he was being escorted to the departures area, officials reportedly stamped his passport with two words, prohibited immigrant. But the bigger problem for Sanjay Shah was that when he arrived back in Kenya, authorities would not allow him back in the country. When he departed his home country using a British overseas citizen document, he had to surrender his Kenyan passport, essentially renouncing his citizenship. Shah was placed in a temporary detention center inside the airport, but eventually was allowed into the terminal when authorities became aware of the details of his situation. He was soon advised that he could re-enter Kenya using a three-month visa, but because he was no longer a citizen, he was concerned that if he left the airport, He could be arrested and detained again. Also, being able to return to the UK was too important to him to risk going back into Kenya. Shaw believed that if he entered with an official visa, it would hurt his chances of successfully returning to England. He made up his mind that until he was given a full British passport, he wasn't going anywhere. So, he submitted the application and waited, The process, it turned out, was excruciatingly slow as his passport request was being assessed. With nowhere to go, Shaw made camp in the duty-free section of the Jomo Kenyatta airport. Like Sir Alfred Mayron, Shaw soon became well known to airport staff. Everyone from the cleaning crew to security personnel did their best to make sure the displaced traveller always had food and other items to keep him going. For everything else, He relied on his wife and son who would often visit him at the airport. His day began at 5 a.m. and ended at midnight, revolving around the first and last flights of the day. Finally, in 2005, after spending over a year in the airport, Shaw received the much-awaited news that his full British passport had been granted. Despite the prolonged demonstration, The British High Commission confirmed that his airport sit-in had nothing to do with the outcome of his application. In fact, they stated that it amounted to nothing more than a pointless protest. The point, though, that is really crucial in all this is his qualification for British citizenship has absolutely nothing to do with his stay in the airport. As I say, he's prolonged his stay in Kenya, not shortened it by his actions over the last year. That didn't matter to Sanjay Shah. It may have taken a 437-day layover at the airport, but he was overjoyed. The British High Commission they have invited me for the British citizenship certificate. So I'm very happy. Today is a great day for me. It's not just international travelers that can find themselves living out of airports. For some people, the vast square footage of a terminal can be an escape from the pressures of daily life. Even the most easygoing have to take a break from time to time. Some of us go for a walk to blow off steam, while others take a drive or hang out with a friend when things become particularly stressful. We may even stay somewhere else for a few days until things calm down. While most of us might crash on a friend's couch or take off on a much-needed vacation, others, well, they head for the safety of the airport. In 2008, a man named Wei Zhongguo turned up at the Beijing Capital International Airport. It's the second busiest airport in the world, with almost 10 million passengers passing through every year. Wei Zhongguo had not been forced from his home nor had he left China only to be turned around due to visa issues. There were no concerns over citizenship or what the authorities might do to him if he left the airport to go home. In fact, the reason the man had gone to the airport to begin with was simply because he and his wife had an argument. Wei Zhenguo had been employed for 20 years at a factory, but when he lost his job in 2008, the 44-year-old was heartbroken. With his job gone, so was his sense of purpose. Feeling down and out, he gave up looking for another job, and soon began drinking. This soon caused issues between him and his wife, but there was nowhere in their home for him to go. Like many households in China, the couple lived with one of their parents. The former factory worker just wanted to be left in peace to smoke cigarettes and drink away his sorrows, but his wife was having none of it. They were not far from the international airport, so that's where he went. However, he wasn't going there for a little time away from his wife. He was planning to move in. Instead of stomping out of the house in a fit of anger, he had the presence of mind to pack some essentials. This included an electric hot plate so he could do his own cooking. When he arrived at the airport, he borrowed a trolley and loaded it with all his worldly possessions. Clothes, blankets, and kitchenware all brought from his home down the street. Like Sir Alfred Mayron, Wei Jianguo refused to describe himself as homeless. He had a home. He just chose not to live there. Also, it wasn't like he didn't have any money. When he was laid off from his job, he started receiving a monthly government subsidy. This meant he could frequent the sizable food court at the Beijing airport. With everything under one roof and all the time to smoke, drink, and eat uninterrupted, he was home. Wei Zhang Guo quickly fell into a daily routine. His sleeping arrangements were simple, often making a bed of blankets on the floor between benches. If there was anything he couldn't find at the airport, he would head out on a shopping trip and return later in the day. Over the years since Wei Zhongguo made Beijing airport his home, others have followed the same lead. The airport is now home to several people who, for whatever reasons, have nowhere else to go. And not all of them are as social as Zhongguo. One resident has the unusual habit of intentionally spilling water on the terminal floors, while another is said to have no memory of his life before finding himself at the airport. It might seem like airports are a great place to go if you want to be left alone for a really long time, but not everyone is happy about it. In Wei Zhongguo's case, airport officials have tried to force him out on many occasions. In December 2017, he attracted the attention of police when a video of him eating noodles in the arrivals area went viral. Police escorted him out of the airport and brought him back to his wife's home, which didn't last long. It wasn't the first time he'd been evicted from the airport, and it wouldn't be the last. Unfazed by this latest attempt to remove him, he returned not long after, only this time he took up residence in Terminal 2. Mostly, the airport staff leave Wei Zhongguo and the other residents to themselves. The general belief is that as long as they're not bothering anyone, there's no need to draw unwanted attention to their ongoing presence. The irony of Zhang Guo's case is that he's free to return home anytime he wants. Yet, despite little to no privacy, constant noise, and a frenzied environment, he would rather stay there than at home. In a 2018 interview, he said, I can't go back home because I have no freedom there. My family told me if I wanted to stay, I had to quit smoking and drinking. He went on to say, At least I have my freedom in the airport. Wei Weizhongguo has been living at the Beijing International Airport for almost 14 years. While that is a very long time to live in an airport, there are others who put that number to shame. Here are some honorable mentions. A 55-year-old Turkish man named Beyram Tepeli lived at the Atatürk Airport in the country's largest city of Istanbul for a staggering 27 years. He moved there in 1991, and when that airport closed in 2019, he traveled 30 miles to the new International Airport, where he lives today. In Brazil, denis Luiz de Souza has made the Sao Paulo International Airport his home for 21 years. While he does leave every now and then, it's always for a short amount of time, and he always returns. Arriving in the year 2000, D'Souza continues to make the airline hub his home to this day. And then there's British national Gary Peter Austin. In 2013, the now 60-year-old self-professed international jockey found himself stuck in the Philippines. Gary flew to the Philippines to visit a woman he met online. When he arrived at the Manila International Airport for his return flight to England, he realized that he had, in fact, missed it. Having failed to reserve a ticket on the next flight and with no money left after his trip, Gary Austin was left stranded. The worst part of it is being stuck here. For 23 days he survived thanks to the kindness of airport staff who gave him food and supplies. They even began donating money toward buying his return ticket. They haven't got anything for themselves but they still give and that is a gift, that is a gift you would never find generally in any other country or anywhere around the world. He told them he was just waiting for a wealthy friend from the Middle East to send money. But in the end, it was the British Embassy who stepped in to get him home. It's reassuring to know that whether you're stuck at an airport for a few hours or a few years, there are plenty of good people around to help. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. Been wandering in my bedroom, how to move along and by my day. I've been low key for a while from over emotions. Gotta go, I smell the air and find a way. As always, a huge thanks for listening, and for your amazing reviews and ratings. I'll be back next week with another episode.